going to episode 37 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is my old pal, and I do mean old, uh, Keith Tyson. So Keith and I were both part of the Firefighter Camp Support Network in its earlier years. He was the Florida director, I was the Ohio director, and we both kind of worked our way up. So uh, I just wanted to talk to Keith about everything he's been through with his department, his cancer diagnosis, um, all the preventative measures that, that he's helped establish throughout this country, and what he'd like to see in the future happen. Because, you know, he's, he's slowing down, uh, he's got a, his first grandson, and he's trying to kind of concentrate more on that than, than anything else right now and, and pass it on to the next generation. So without further ado, Keith Tyson. I've got my old pal with me today, and I, I do mean old. Uh, Keith Tyson, <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Glad to be here, buddy. You know, uh, we're both still doing this isolation thing. Last week, we are actually going to be uh, – together in Indianapolis and that obviously didn't happen so I was sorry I didn't get to actually see you in person and give you a big awkward hug <laughs> it'll just have to be that much longer that much more awkward when I see you again well big is big is the operative word for both of us <laughs> neither one of us is losing weight here no no I'm, I'm now passing my COVID-19 and onto the COVID-20s at this point <laughs> see there so uh, retired Miami-Dade firefighter. How long were you there for? 34 years, 1974 to 2008. <clears throat> nice. All right. And then you also did some work with Florida Task Force One, and you're actually down at Ground Zero. Is that right? Correct. We were. I was there for two weeks as you know, a technical information specialist uh, in charge of basically the report writing and documentation, that type of thing. Same thing, same thing I did in Mozambique, Africa, and uh, Izmet, Turkey, and New Orleans. I mean, that was a fun part of the job. You know, I, I, I truly enjoyed that. But it got into some serious, dangerous stuff at times, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> the, and in that position, correct me if I'm wrong, that's kind of the young sung hero. That's, you're behind the scenes, but you're really all in directing and, and pointing where all the resources need to go and just, again, just kind of playing the puppet master, if you will. Yeah, you're, you're more of the task force leader's right-hand guy. You know, the, he's got the ground troops out there uh, doing the, the grunt work, the hard work, you know, digging and, you know, searching and that type of stuff. But as, as a tech info specialist, you're doing all the reports, you're doing all the uh, uh, interviews, you're doing all the uh, uh, updates, that type of stuff. You've got to make sure that the, uh, as part of the funding, you've got everybody's data correct, how many hours they worked, you know, what shifts they're on. I mean, it's ad nauseum, the information you collect and, and have to sort through. So we're talking about 72 guys and all their data and, and uh, what shift they're on and that type of stuff. It, it, it gets a little overwhelming at times. <clears throat> I, I can only imagine. Now, Shortly after you retire, you get some of those phone calls, don't you? The oh, ones yeah. that we don't want to hear. Yeah. The ones we more often hear right before we retire, right after we retire, it seems. Correct. So could, you, could you kind of talk about that, if you don't mind? Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, I had uh, made some plans with my wife to go on a uh, 
on a six-week cruise in, in Europe and thought, well, you know, I better go get my updates on my shots. I want to see the doctor. And he says, well, I'll be happy to give you the shots, but you got to do your physical with me because I haven't seen you in a year and a half. And I said, okay, fine, whatever. So we went through the physical, did the blood workup and everything else. And he says, okay, well, have fun. And if there's any problems, I'll call you, but don't expect any. And a couple of days later, I got a phone call from his nurse and she says, I need you to come back in and and, uh, you know, it looks like the PSA is a little wrong and uh, we want to want to retest. OK, so I went back in and, and did the, the test and she goes, we'll call you in a couple of days if there's any issues. Well, a couple of days later, I did get another phone call and she said uh, uh, the doctor would like to see you. Um, and he says, bring your wife and that last report you said you had. And I'm going, what's the problem? She goes, well, he'll talk to you when you get in. At which point you have that sinking feeling. And so went in and sat down and the doctor walks in and, and he walks in with all his papers and the wife's sitting next to me and he goes, Mr. Tyson, I don't know how to tell you this, but it does look like you have prostate cancer. And at which point in time, as I always tell my classes, it's like two glass soundproof doors slid across in front of your face and you can see the doctor talking in front of you. It's the wah, 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 but you're not hearing anything. And what I went through was how long do I have to live? What's going to happen to the wife and kids? Where's my life insurance policy? And oh crap, I just took the wrong option on my pension plan. And that was because it was six months after I retired. And I look at the across at the wife and she's already crying and I'm trying to hold it together. And I, you know, the doors kind of parted a little bit. I hear the doctor speaking again. I said, wait, he said, what? He says, I said, start over. He says, from where? And I said, from the word you, from the moment you said cancer, I never heard another word. And so it was one of those, you know, awkward moments where you go, what the hell just happened? And, you know, I said, are you sure about the report? Because I'm feeling fine. I don't have any signs or symptoms or anything. And so he goes, no. And he looks at the report and says, this is you. And he says, what I would like you to do is, if you don't mind going across this, the hallway here and and uh, seeing a partner of mine and, and having him do a, a biopsy. Um, you're assuming then it is cancer. He goes, well, let's not get into it too far yet, but yeah, I do. And so uh, walked across the hallway, saw his partner, and, and it was one of those, uh, he says, well, um, I think we're going to do some biopsies. I, he says, I tend to agree with your doc. And I go, okay, when are we going to do that? And he says, oh, right now. He says, just drop your pants and face away and it was 12 shots up the spot you don't want it to go for talk about service right yeah right <laughs> and uh you know it, it's just one of those where okay and they called back and said yeah you have prostate cancer you got a gleason score of seven and uh we need to do something about it and uh here's here's your options um we're going to let you go ahead and go on your cruise and enjoy it. And I looked at him and I laughed and I said, so I've got cancer, but I should go on a cruise and enjoy myself. And he goes, no, he says, seriously, he says, this is not going to kill you overnight. He says, I want you to think about what you want to do. He says, go out and talk to another couple doctors, go talk to some of your buddies who may have had it and, uh, and, and make some decisions. But he says, by the end of eh, four or five months, I'll give you five months. He says, I want a definitive answer of what you're going to do. And the answer that I'm not going to accept 
is that you're going to do the wakeful watching. And he says, that's, that's not, he says, your, your cancer is too aggressive for that. He says, um, you're 55 years of age. Uh, you shouldn't be having this type of cancer at this age. This would be for a 70-plus-year-old guy. And he says, and they might not die of it, but you, yeah, you could. So he says, I, I need an answer. And that was how it started. <clears throat> that was the phone call, the fateful phone call. Did you did you end up going on that cruise? It went on the cruise and enjoyed the hell of it. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna, uh, curious about that. I mean, were you able to actually enjoy your cruise, or was that in the back of your head the entire time? Oh yeah, it's always in the back of your head. I mean, you know, and it's the thing that I always tell people once they've been diagnosed. I don't care if they, you know, you've gone through all your treatment and you're quote cured and in remission and this on the other. Every time you go in to see a doctor, from that point on, it's what are they going to find now? What are they going to find now? Uh, and an old friend of ours, I remember, and I, I bet you you've heard this before. He always talks about how it's like you have your check engine light on. Yeah, you're you're living your life, and you have your check engine light on. Exactly right, always. So you get back from that cruise. Yep. What did you did you talk to different doctors? Did you talk to other firefighters? Yeah, so what I did is, you know, actually, it was even before the cruise, because the cruise was off for a couple of weeks after that. Um, I, as soon as I got home, I started getting on the phone calls and calling guys in my department. I go, okay, who's had prostate cancer? And the first guy says, that's not what I had. I had this. And this next guy go, he says, but call this guy. And the next, that guy says, no, I had this kind of cancer. And it was like that for almost two weeks. And, you know, you call around the department and you're going, how many guys have got cancer? And so finally I got a phone call from a buddy of mine and he goes, uh, I hear you're looking for someone who's had prostate cancer. And he goes, and I go, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm your guy. And I go, wait, we worked together for 10 years. When the heck did you have prostate cancer? And he goes, remember that trip that I took to Colorado? I go, yeah, the one where you got the big deer or whatever it was. And he goes, yeah, well, that was all a lie. He says, that's when I had my prostate cancer. Uh, and I looked at uh, on the phone. I said, why didn't you say something? He goes, because we don't talk about cancer in the fire service. And it struck me like a ton of bricks. And I'm going, holy crap. I mean, I've been making phone calls for two weeks. And I'm listening to all these guys who have this or that or the other type of cancer. And I never knew any of these. You know, none of these guys talked about it. And it was like... You know, so I started doing some research, you know, again, part of the tech info type of thing, you know, getting on the computer and is firefighter cancer or what is it like? And there was only a few studies that were out there at that point in time. And I'm going, this is wrong. And so I went to our union and our department. I said, we need to figure out, um, do we have a problem in our department or not? I said, because I'm a little concerned with what I'm hearing. And I kind of explained it. And the department says, well, that's your union insurance. You're going to have to talk to the union. And the union said, okay, fine. Um, let's, let's see what's going on. And so we called in United Healthcare, which is our insurance provider. Um, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue is somewhere around the sixth largest department in the United States. So we're pretty good size, 2,000 plus or minus men and women on the floor at any point in time. And uh, so, you know, it was like, okay. They sat down across the table, and what do you want? I said, well, I made some phone calls, and I'm a little concerned. Okay, so tell me about it. 
And I kind of went through it and I go, okay, so what do you want? I said, here's what I want. And I went through a list. I want to know who's had cancer, what type of cancer, male or female, what was their age, what was their diagnosis, what was their treatment, and what was the cost to the insurance? And they go, we can't tell you that. I go, well, why not? Well, we can't give you out names and private information like that. I'm going, okay, let me back this up. I don't care about a name. How many men and women on this job have got cancer? What did it cost our insurance? You don't have to give me a name. There's 2,000 you know, people on this job. I'm not going to know a 55-year-old male and a 30-year-old female or whatever. And they go, well, we'll get to legal and get back to you. I said, okay, fine. So a couple of weeks later, they called back and said, okay, legal said, as long as we don't give you names, we're good. What do you want to know? And I went through the list and I said, oh, by the way, when we do this, one member, one cancer. So if I've had more than one type of cancer and I'm active and I'm on the job, you tell me what the more severe one is. So if I was still on the job and my skin cancer was worse than my prostate cancer, that's your call, not mine. You, you guys are the medical experts. So it took a couple months. When it finally came back, the shocking number was 32% of the active men and women on Miami-Dade had been diagnosed and or treated for some form of cancer in a three-year window. And that was the genesis of getting involved as heavily as I have. Say, say that again, because that's worth repeating, So those 30, numbers. 30, 32% of the men and women that were on the job between 2005, or 2005, 6, and 7 had been diagnosed and or treated for some form of cancer in that three-year window. One form of cancer. A third of your department in a three-year period. Yeah, absolutely. And that blew people away. And, you know, and it was like everybody said, no, this is your numbers. You're stupid. You're, there's no possible way. And I'm going, folks, these are not my numbers. These are coming directly from the insurance company. This is not something that I'm making up. It's not like, you know, hey, Jim says I've got this. No, the insurance company says Jim has this, but I don't know it's Jim. So... Yeah, this is this is what started happening. And so, you know, with that, we started off on our merry little, you know, development of you know, relationships and partnerships and investigations and that type of stuff. So that that's how it all started. I wanna get I wanna get to that where you're going uh, in a minute, but I want you to go back to your actual treatment. You finally decide you finally make a decision you're gonna do something. What do you end up deciding uh, to do? I ended up choosing robotic surgery, um, Da Vinci uh, Robotics, and knock on wood, no chemo, no radiation. And uh, as I tell people, the blue pill works from time to time, and it, from time to time it doesn't, and it is what it is. I mean, you know, and but uh, no other side effects, and I can't complain. And and since that point in time, my PSA has been 0 0.01, so basically negligible. Um, 12 years, well, what are we now? Yeah, 12 years later. So can't awesome. complain. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Perfect. And you also had skin cancer, correct? I had several bouts of skin cancers. You know, basal and uh, and uh, my mind just totally went blank. Squamous. Nice. Okay. <clears throat> now let's go back to where you're going before. Um, you start doing all this research. You're getting your own numbers, which are so impactful with what you're coming up with for your department 
and you start to realize this is a significant problem. What are we doing about it? And right. back then, what were we doing about it? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, it, it, it was it was crazy. I mean, you know, back in the days when I got on the job, it was high hip boots and uh, uh, asbestos jackets, the silver lined jackets and uh, plastic or fiberglass helmets. And the gloves that you got were the typical garden variety Home Depot style gloves. And uh, if you had one SCBA on a truck for three guys, it was in a suitcase in the right rear compartment, at least for our rigs. And uh, the first truck, the first fire that I ever stepped literally off the tailboard, I ran around to that compartment to go put it on, on the pack. And the officer gets off the, the uh, out of his set, looks at me, he's got a cigarette dangling out of his mouth and he goes, come on rookie, you don't need that stuff. Let's go fight a fire. And in he goes with a cigarette in his mouth. And you know, so, yeah, it was a whole different mindset. And, you know, back then it was the dirty gear was the badge of honor. You know, it was uh, showed who had the most fires and who was a worker and who wasn't. So, yeah, it was it was a whole different mindset back then. <clears throat> and uh, the more research we started doing, the more we realized, you know what, this stuff is killing us and we've got to do things differently. How happy were, were you to finally find a national organization uh, that was actually doing something about this? And, and how did you even come across them? So it was, it was interesting because that was a whole different aspect. Um, I realized that when I had been diagnosed that there was nobody to talk to about it. And, you know, no one really wanted to share a lot of information. And, you know, knock on wood, I didn't have any real side issues. Like, you know, I was able to get up and walk around and, uh, you know, do the normal type of stuff, even while I had the fully bag and everything else. But, um, you know, I realized that some of these guys probably need a, mo a lawn mowed or, you know, a little help around the house. And so initially it was kind of a thought process of, hey, let's get the brotherhood together and see what we can do to assist people, you know, that are going through hard times. And, uh, you know, I went to the state organization, the, the Florida Professional Firefighters, and kind of pushed this thought process forward and got a little bit of funding and started uh, making some phone calls and, you know, reached out to a couple of smaller organizations across the nation. And what are you doing? What are you doing? And, uh, so ended up talking to Mike DeBron one morning, um, and he says, uh, I, I told him what I was doing. He says, well, why would you want to do that? I'm going, well, um, because uh, we've got guys and girls that need some help and, uh, you know, talk about the cancer issues. And I said, I see what you're kind of doing, and I'm kind of, you know, like to mimic it. And he says, well, why would you want to do that? I'm going, I, I fail to understand. He says, I'll tell you what, he said, meet me in Orlando. I'm going to be at a conference. We'll sit down, we'll have lunch, we'll talk. And so that was a, a week later. I went up and met with him and we went through this whole long conversation. And, and uh, so when it was all over and done, he says, okay, so why do you want to do this? Well, why did you do it? You know, it was kind of like throwing it back in his face. And he goes, to help people. I'm going, yeah, exactly. I, and, he, and I said, so how, how do I start? He says, 
do you, are you serious about this? I, I said, yeah. He says, well, he says, you just started the Florida chapter. I'm going, okay, now what do I do? And he goes, you'll figure it out. And it was, that was kind of the way it went back then. It was like, excuse uh, me. I'm no. sitting here laughing because you I mean, know. It, it was, it was very much like that. You know, I remember asking him, what do I do? And he said, uh, whatever you think you should do, <laughs> you know, make, make shit up. We don't really have a plan. I mean, cause at that time, and you, you and I started pretty close, yeah. um, time frame wise, there was obviously California, which is where it was based. Right. There was New York. And then I think it was, it was the two of us. Right. So there, there was, there was not a game plan. It was figure this shit out, see what works. And, and so it was like, okay. And, and that's how Florida became a part of the firefighter cancer support network. And, uh, you know, then it became, uh, like you say, okay, figure this out. And I'm trying to figure out what I can do differently that, that not being, I'm going, we need to talk about this. And so began putting together some educational programs on this and, and awareness programs and spun that up pretty quickly and, uh, you know, and, and beat my head against the wall for years because people go, we don't have a problem in the fire department with cancer. Okay. You know, it was, it was very taboo, very taboo. Very and, taboo. And to some departments it still is. I mean, you know, Clean cabs don't make grabs nonsense. And, you know, listen, you know, I get it. You know, uh, we, we all want to make those grabs and all the rest, but how often do we make them? You know? you know, and I'm not trying to diminish it. It doesn't ever happen, but, you know, but we have, we're losing a ton of firefighters to cancer, period. Exactly. Now, back in those days, you know, going back to that, that context, um, it was a support network. Correct. Um, if you were diagnosed with cancer, you would call them up. They put you in touch with a mentor, somebody that was a survivor that had that same type of cancer, and uh, they would walk you through what their road was like and support yep. you. They yep. also would send you that toolbox that was full of helpful information, all different pamphlets. A great way to keep everything organized all in one place. It's amazing how I haven't forgot any of that stuff. I could still <laughs> do the spiel <laughs> perfectly. So. But it was, and it was all about like what you said, like mowing grasses and doing meals. And I mean, it was just support. Right. You came along and you, you and I kind of shared the same mindset of you, you, you talked about talking about it and it was the whole, well, what can we do to actually prevent stuff? Right. And that's what I think. And you're still excelling at it. Um, you know, the being, uh, what, what is your actual title now? The, the education and research. Yes, yes, yes. So <laughs> you're doing that on a global scale. Um, but I mean, that's the two, that's what I think drew us together so much was the prevention aspect. We knew there was a little bit of studies out there. And based off those studies, we could kind of think of some of the things to actually do to prevent that stuff. Well, and I think it was, you know, this whole concept. And, and, and again, if you remember at FDIC, in 2013, we sat down with a whole lot of people, scientists and doctors and researchers, around the table for three days and go, okay, what do we know about cancer? Or what don't we know? What can we be doing differently? What shouldn't we be doing? And then the, the white paper developed from that. Taking action against cancer, yes. Right. You know, the 11 action, the low cost, no cost items. And, and you look back upon that, 
And that was way off the leading edge at that point in time. And people are, were st still look at that and go, holy crap, we don't do some of this stuff. Well, that was in 2013, we're seven years later now. Um, I think that paper, you know, when, when you and I and, and all those great people worked on that together, um, that really, I think, was the first thing that brought this to the mainstream. Correct. I, I totally agree with that. You know, so it was when you looked at that, you were like, wow, we actually that was the first time I felt like we truly accomplished something for the fire service. Did you feel the same way? Yeah. Uh, um, up until then, it was like research, you know, the, the uh, University of Cincinnati research, University of Miami had had uh, two studies on mortality and, and uh, incidents. Um, and there were a bunch of smaller little studies that had been out there, but they were all buried on the Internet. And unless you were looking for it, no one knew anything about it. And so, yeah, the, that white paper and that whole meeting really kind of brought people together to say, you know what, we really do have a problem. And, and what are we going to do about it? And, and I think, yeah, that was kind of the genesis, the, the aha moment that the, the captain of the ship, if you want to say it that way, the captain of the ship suddenly goes, uh, let's make a turn quick, but it's going to take us about five years to do it, as we all know. I mean, nothing, the ship doesn't turn that quickly. But, you know, it was like, we've got to make some difference here. <clears throat> the, the, the next moment that I had that aha moment, or probably the moment I felt probably the most proud was, and you were there with me, you were a huge part of this, that 51st IFF convention in Philadelphia. Um. That was they had a uh, a resolution to do an online cancer awareness prevention program uh, through the IFF, and uh, we ended up becoming part of that. And to be there live with the whole body, we're and we're talking. Well, I mean, what couple thousand firefighters there, right? Yeah, right. And to see that vote go down and how people were actually on board of it, it was like it was that moment where I was like, oh, they they finally get it. They've accepted this and they're going to do something about this. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I remember that dinner that night with you and, and your family and everybody else involved. And it was just, I mean, it was truly a celebration dinner, like uh, never before. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. I mean, that was a moment that uh, is hard to forget. And, um, you know, that was also the moment that the international, in my mind, finally acknowledged that cardiac was not the number one killer of firefighters any longer, that it was, in fact, cancer was the number one killer. And that was, in many aspects for me, uh, the moment that I, I really started feeling like we were starting to make some headway. Because up until then, it had been, no, cardiac's the number one killer, cardiac's the number one killer, and all the reports, all the, you know, and, and even today, I mean, if you read NFPA and all the rest, there's no, the, the only mention of cancer is the fact that, hey, we know cancer is an issue, but we have no way of tracking it. And so consequently, we're there, we're don't, we don't track it per se. And I remember you again, you're, you're a numbers guy, huge numbers guy. And I remember you bringing up the actual IFF database for the memorial and showing that actually cancer is larger than, than cardiac. Not that we we're trying to have a, a contest or anything, but... Right. But it needs to be it, it needed to be brought to light of how truly significant of a threat that was. Correct. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, it was it was it was a long time coming, and and like you said, uh, the data was there. It's just that nobody was looking at it in the same fashion. You know, again, it'd been cardiac driven for so long, and when you say, listen. Your own database is validating that cancer is the number one killer. And here it is. And let me show it to you on your computer, in your room, uh, with your database, you know, and here's how it, here's how I did it. And it was like the, oh, yeah, you're right, um, type moment. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was huge, huge for all of us. Yes. And I remember, um, Dan Crow, yourself, and myself actually making a trip to D.C. to IFF headquarters and working on that. And that was just a great experience as well. Because, again, you you saw the buy-in. You saw, uh, I mean, Dr. Virginia Weaver is there. Um, I mean, just, it was like, yes, we have arrived. We're right. going to make it, we're going to make a difference. Correct. Yeah, it was, it was a big moment. And, 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 uh, you know, it's it's amazing looking back at some of the emails or you know, because I still have them on my computer. I mean, you know, um, and it's like, yes, we are really doing this. And and so it was it was it was a, a moment, an aha moment. Now, shortly after that is when the FCS and I departed ways. You've obviously carried on there Correct. And, and been doing still great things. What, what are some of the things in that time? since then that you've been able to accomplish? Uh, it, it's it's fun because I get to meet and work with a lot of great people out there. And, you know, when I say work with, I mean, at least collaborate, uh, have some input, whatever. I'm not a researcher per se. Uh, you know, I am a firefighter, you know, retired paramedic, you know, that type of thing. But because of all the information and knowledge that I've learned over the last 12 years, I guess I'm somewhat valuable to somebody. I don't know where, but, you know, there's, there's research going on now on, you know, when we send our gear off to get a clean, how clean is it? You know, if, if we've been into this burning built warehouse and we're coming out with all this nasty chemicals on our gear. Okay. So we send it off to the cleaner. Is it truly clean or is it? You know, uh, if it's not, uh, if we don't get rid of, for sake of an argument, 100% of the benzenes that are on it, is 20% left on it okay? Is it 30% that's okay? What about formaldehyde? You know, all these different chemicals that might be still on the gear. You know, what is good, what isn't? You know, and I, I don't even want to get into the PFOA and PFOS thing, you know, because that's a whole nother story. But, you know, all these type of issues, what do we need to do? Okay, well, let's put that to the side for a moment. What about cleaning the gear while we're still on the fire scene? So the whole concept of gross on-scene decon, or now it's called personal exposure reduction, comes into play. And, you know, soap, water, and a brush, and the, stu the stuff that Gavin Horn and NIOSH and CDC did at Illinois Fire Service Institute and, and uh, you know, how much of, you know, after a fire and you put your, hang your gear up in the cab, how much of that gear, how much of the chemicals are off gassing? And again, uh, how long do we let it air out? You know, uh, if we use soap one or a brush, is it better than, than the, uh, just a brush or what about uh, an air blower, you know, a weed whacker, whatever you want to call it. 
And the research that showed that, you know what, soap water in a brush at least got 85% uh, or up to 85% of the chemicals off. Great, that's far better than what we were ever doing before. There became the genesis again of the, the whole concept of gross on scene decon. And, you know, being able to have some input into that, because again, it was, it was very interesting listening to um, Shapeburger interview uh, Gavin at one point in time while he was doing that research. And he goes, so you've got all this gear here. What, what is this all about? And he goes, oh, this is all donated gear. We're testing it for this, that, and the other chemicals. And he kind of went through what I was just talking about. And he goes, and he says, but you know what? He says, I look at these helmets now. And he says, they've only been through seven fires. And he says, and I remember sitting at a conference in New Orleans where this guy stood up and he said, you know, what can we do to acknowledge that the air, when the air is truly clean? And he says, and then he asked about the question about helmets. And he says, how many of you ever clean your helmets? And he says, I don't mean just the outside, but I'm talking about the inside, the webbing and the chin strap. And he says, I remember this guy talking about it. Well, he was talking about me back then. And he did, you know, and it was just what again, an aha moment that I inspired somebody to start thinking about it. And so consequently, you know, we're, we're into that position. Um, you know, we get into the discussions as to um, saunas. Is saunas good or bad? You know, and there's some discussion back and forth and, and uh, validation studies. And right at the moment, it's a very um, ambiguous type of uh, research on it. You know, there's no pluses, there's no minuses. If it makes you feel good, go do it, you know. But uh, there's no research that validates that it's really getting rid of anything. So, you know, and, and that's at the moment, you know, but who knows where it goes from here. So there's, there is a lot of research that's ongoing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that the University of Miami Sylvester Cancer Center has been involved in a tremendous amount of research. And again, that developed because I sat down with them at one point in time and said, here's our numbers. And uh, Dr. Kovitz, uh, who is one of the lead investigators, looked at me as I went down through the list of different types of cancers. And I got to the one about cervical cancer. And I said, you know, uh, 21 women have been diagnosed with cervical cancer. And she, wait a minute, stop. She goes, stop a minute. I go, what? She goes, how many women do you have in the job? And I said, on our department, yeah, 300 plus or minus. I said, she goes, do you know what I study? And I go, doc, I met you 15 minutes ago. The answer is no, I really don't. You know, and, and she goes, my specialty is cervical cancer in underserved women. She says, let me just say something. She says, the number here in the state of Florida is somewhere between 18 and 20 per 100,000 women. And you're telling me you have 21 out of 300? You had a problem in the fire service that we got to start looking at. And Again, th those numbers again. Yeah, right. exactly. And Dr. Lee, who did a study on incidents and mortality back in 2006 with Dr. Ma and, and a number of other people, looked at him and he says, how did you come up with all this? And I said, well, I just started trying to figure out how, how we could pull numbers together. Went to the United Healthcare and went to, you know, what types of cancers, you know, who's had what type of cancers. And so I can break it down as to age groups and this, how the other. He says, 
he looked at me and says, what's your degree in? I'm going, what do you mean? He says, when you went to college, what did you major in? I looked at him, I said, the school of hard knocks. And he goes, excuse me? I said, I don't have a college degree. I hate to say it that way. And he, and he says, do you know what you've just handed to me? And I'm going, a lot of numbers, I know that. And he goes, you've handed to me what I would expect from my master's students to come argue for a cancer study. And he says, and this validates what we were talking about back in 2006, but we were concerned about, uh, or more, more, more likely we were concerned about, but we couldn't validate it. And he says, now you've just handed it to me a nice little package. And so consequently, the University of Miami is very heavily involved along with the University of Arizona um, and Boston and Chicago and a number of other departments across the country on studying firefighter cancer in different aspects, either blood workup or whatever it may be. So it's pretty exciting stuff. I love how you were able to take that information from just your department and really make it into a national thing. Cause that's what, that's what that university has done. You know, they, they now hold a great annual cancer symposium. I went to the first one, the second one, I had the flu. I got to watch it here on uh, live stream. It was, it was preparing me for all this COVID stuff. That's what yeah. I think it was doing. <laughs> but no, I mean, you were, you were a huge part of that. They probably wouldn't be going there if it wasn't for you. So well, thank I, you. I thank you for that. You're the man. Now you've also done, um, a ton of these train to trainer programs. Do you yeah. have any idea? And this is, I'm just shooting from the hip here. Do you have any idea how many you've actually done or how many firefighters you've actually taught over the years? Thousands. Yeah. No, I, ha I, 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 I don't even try to keep track of it anymore because you know, every time you go to, uh, I mean, I was supposed to be at Boca, uh, Boca Raton teaching and you know it's been pushed off twice just because of now of covid and all the rest um you know i did miami dade you know and and you know i did some stuff in palm beach i mean over the years you know tens of thousands you know train the trainer you know the actual other instructors we've probably done a couple thousand you know across the nation but i mean it's not you're not just teaching class you're teaching a train the trainer Correct. So then they go off and they teach everybody. I mean, I, I just, I hope you recognize the impact you've made throughout this country. Well, thank you. Sure. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you. I may really truly be the only one that'll make me fit it, <laughs> but, but I did. So uh, let me fast forward here. You know, you're a new grandpa. Yep. I know you've talked about slowing things down a little bit and it's going to be up to the next generation to really push through and, and make a difference. What are you hoping some of the changes are that, that you would like to see down the road? Cause I know we've made, we've, we've made a lot of progress, but we're also not there. Oh no. I mean, you know, I, I think, listen, we'll, we'll never make this job safe a hundred percent. I mean, there's, there's, you, you can put everything into place and hope it all works out we're still going to lose firefighters to this, that, or the other. And, and I don't think that we're going to stop cancer either, you know, but I'll give you some numbers. Last year, I had 55 people call me directly here in the state that had been diagnosed. And I know that's not all of them. That's just the ones that I know about, you know? Um, so I'm able to now fast track some of them 
uh, that want it, either to well, the, to both of the National Cancer Institute hospitals here in the state of Florida, both uh, University of Miami Sylvester as well as Moffitt. So, you know, I'm able to get them in a little bit faster by using the connections that I've developed. Um, and, and that's been a big deal. I mean, today I just found out that a guy that I referred who thought he had cancer tumor, turns out it was benign, but they had to crack his chest open and take it out anyway. So, you know, good. Yeah, absolutely good. He, it wasn't cancer, you know, bad. He had a big tumor. I mean, so it is what it is. But, um, you know, where are we going to go in the future? I, I would just like to think that we could slow this epidemic down in some fashion, that we're, we don't have to constantly get phone calls. And, and again, when I say phone calls, I'll probably, I could probably this year look at one I, I, two phone calls every week. I saw a text message go across my screen of somebody that's got new, newly diagnosed and wanting to know where they go as we're doing this right now. So as soon as we're done with this, yeah, I'll, I'll be on the phone. You know, so yeah, I, I feel exactly like you. I just like you, I want those calls to stop. I, not that I don't want to be, if you get diagnosed, call yeah. me, but by all means. But I'm hoping people aren't diagnosed where they don't need to use us as resources. Correct. That's, that's the, that would be the ideal thing. The ideal. Is it realistic? Probably not. But, you know, you can always shoot for the ideal. You shoot for the platinum and hope you get the gold, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, as, as far as apparatus, I mean, you know, we never really got into the clean cab thing, but I think we're, we're leaning more and more that direction as, you know, as apparatus come the, the clean fire station, you know, designing stations so that all the dirty stuff stays outside. I mean, I, I think we, we've gotten past that point where we take our, our boots and our pants and we put them next to our bed at nighttime. I think we're long past that. I think we're long past the point where we have carpet in the stations any longer. I think we're now looking at the point where we have uh, airlock systems between the, the truck bay areas, uh, you know, whatever we want to call it, in the living quarters so that everything is blown outwards. I think we're starting to see that. But again, the problem with stations is the stations built, in theory, it's 45 years, 50 years, up to 75 years. If you look at Boston, 150 years on the line, you know, how often are you going to renovate that type of a station? Same thing with apparatus. I mean, you know, Miami-Dade, I don't know for sure the numbers, but I think we run through our apparatus every about seven to 10 years. Um, some departments will, that'll last them a lifetime. Well, we put our, we beat ours up pretty good, you know, just like FDNY or Chicago or some of the other big departments. So, you know, as you go through that, there's new concepts on what we should be doing. Um, this whole thing with clean cab, you know, should all the gear be outside? I don't think it should be, you know, and, and you know, it goes back to that clean cabs don't make grabs. I've never, ever once advocated that all the gear must be outside. Never once. My thought and my statements have always been the only gear that should be inside the cab is clean gear. If you can tell me that 100% of the time that that gear going back in the cab is clean, I've got no problem with that. You can put your packs inside. You can put your, 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 your PPE inside. You can put your tools inside, secure them so they don't 
fly around that type of thing. But I've never once ever said you can't put that stuff, you know, inside the cab. But it has to be clean because you and I both know that as we were on the department, we would come in in the morning at shift change, open up the cab door, take a deep whiff and smell the fire from the night before and go, damn, they had a good one we missed. Damn, I wish. And you go straight into the kitchen in the morning. Go, OK, what do you guys have? What, 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 tell me about it. Well, you just took on their carbons and their their dangerous chemicals, and you've got it in the cab for the rest of the day. Yeah, you're taking their stuff off and putting your stuff on, but it's still residing in the cab. And so I think that, you know, again, I don't have a problem with it. I think the next big step in this evolution is probably some fashion of swapping gear out on the fire scene. You know, and, and so you swap your PPE out one for one. And Vancouver's been doing this successfully for years. Every single fire, they roll a trailer out onto the fire scene. Uh, they don't care. And I've spoken to the president or vice president up there. Um, and he goes, yeah, we'll put a tent up. We'll put a heater in it. I don't care if it's minus 30 degrees. They're going to drop their gear there. They're going to take a quick rinse and we'll issue them new gear. And back to the station they go. And I think that's going to happen. Uh, I think that's where we're headed. And, and whether it becomes from the manufacturer standpoint, whether it's an independent service provider, or whether the department does it, I think that's where we're headed to, hopefully, in the near future. I think the next other big thing is we're going to design new gear, new, new PPE. Because, and, and again, I don't want to get too controversial in this, but is PFOA and PFOS as dangerous as it seems, I think it is certainly dangerous, but is it as bad in our gear as being made out to believe that it is the problem? I don't think it's that all that. I, I, I do believe it's in our gear. I do believe it's a problem. But as, as Peasley even talks about, he says, so what's the alternative? It, it's used for waterproofing. He says, you're gonna not use fire gear? He says, Okay, don't do fire gear. Now what are you going to use? So we've got to find the right thing. And I guess the other part of that is, let's assume that we got rid of that and have something else put into it. You know, it's the old, is this better than what we're going to get, which is, the, again, the new unknown. And when do we know that that unknown is, oops, that was even worse than this one that we've got. No, for sure we're like, we're guinea pigs in all of this right now. Unfortunately, we're we're learning as as we go. Um, fortunately, there's millions of dollars put into this research for all this type of cancer stuff that wasn't there ten years ago. Correct. So, <laughs> excuse me. So we're we're learning all sorts of new things all the time, and we're actually even now going to areas of the fire service that we were kind of neglecting. We're we're, we're doing studies on on our women firefighters we're doing studies on wildland and also volunteers so and the investigators and yeah absolutely. yes exa exactly exactly how rude of me to forget them yeah sorry <laughs> i'm a dick <laughs> no, you know you're like ah yeah you are <laughs> yeah you're the you're the host i'm not gonna get in front of you uh yes yeah so let me get you out of here on this. Let's do the uh, 25 questions. Not that 
I'm going to go over these 25, although it actually would probably be fun with you. But it would last it would last 25 hours going through these with you. So I've got a list, random questions. I just need, and we're going to do a few of them, so just pick a random number and I'll go over the question with you. Okay, uh, seven. What is something popular now, but everyone will look back at five years from now and think it's stupid and embarrassing? Oh, jeez. These are random questions. I you, I wasn't expecting anything like this. Uh, that, is, that is more on the deeper side than some of these. Like other like favorite dessert or stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a deeper one. Wow, I have no clue. I, I yeah, television. Uh, Who knows? Oh, that's going to stay. What are you talking about? Uh, pick another number then. That's fine. Okay, eleven. Who would play you in a movie regarding your life? Oh, God. I- I'm trying to... Well, it's Brad Pitt. Who cares? I don't know. <laughs> Who do you see me as, pl- as playing me? Yeah, no, no, it could be Brad Pitt, but it would be, uh, it would be the uh, beginning of Benjamin Button. Oh, like well, guy. I- I- how about uh, um, Harrelson, whatever his name is? Woody Harrelson? Yeah. I see that. All right. All right, pick another one. 13. Favorite movie? I'll tell you, it, you know, this is like weird stuff, but, you know. Um, I wouldn't I, expect I, anything different from you. Yeah, I know. I, I just watched Netflix the other day, and they were ta- uh, there was a series, two-year series, on Formula One racing, and I really truly enjoyed it. Um, but then I'm into big auto racing, so you know. But it was I've never really truly watched Formula One in depth. But this talked about all the owners and the and the um, the, the the teams, and really got into in depth into the drivers and and sponsorships and stuff like that. And it was a it was a fun, you know. Even Lori liked it. You know, and she sat there for for it. And she said, "You know what? I'd even go see a Formula One race now with you." And I thought that was kind of interesting. So, Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, I've been there. Done you that have one. done that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I have done that. I've done Daytona. I've done Homestead. I well, I worked at Homestead Track for years, so you know that's how I got involved in it. Nice. Uh, I wasn't expecting that, but that's good. You see, uh, things did, you don't know about. Me. Did Timmy give you tickets? To Indy? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. All right. Before All right. I knew Timmy. Uh, how about another number then? How far are we going? 14. 14. Uh, what's something that you've tried that you'll never, ever try again? Lima beans. <laughs> Lima beans. No. We'll never, ever eat those again. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> well, there you have it. Don't approach Keith Tyson with lima beans. Exactly. That's probably like me and pickles. Okay. Pickles. Really? Yes. Oh no. How about that with you? Now, where can people track you down if they uh, they wanted to stalk you? Uh, here in Florida, usually. Um, email address. K- That'll work. Yes. Okay. K Very Tyson. Good. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry again. Do it again. I interrupted you. Go. Sorry. The, the 
uh, K-T-Y-S-O-N at F-C-S-N.net. That would be the easiest one. If you need to get a hold of me by phone, the number is 786-351-3276. And as far as conventions, who knows? I mean, I'll be at conventions again in the future, but I was just, just found out that the IFF convention has been canceled out now, too. So I don't know what I'm doing this year. So yeah. I didn't even know that. Look, that's breaking news, although it won't be breaking news by the time this airs. But Yeah, yeah. I, I just found that out literally 10 minutes ago myself. Thanks a lot, COVID. <laughs> exactly, right? <That laughs> can't was... have, can't <laughs> have anything nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Frank, I mean, I, that really ended in my, end of my year. I mean, I don't think I've got anything between after that one. If you're like me at all, with that being said, have you actually enjoyed this time just home and just not all over place all the time? Oh God. You know, what, what a difference, you know I mean? Yeah. Uh, not last year, but the year before I was gone 185 days out of the year. Um, not at home. And, and yeah, that gets really tiring after a while. Um, yeah. Like you say, I've been home, I've been enjoying, you know, Lori and I have, have really had some fun times, you know, whatever, you know, watching TV and stuff like that. Um, you know, doing the Zoom meetings with a family, you know, the grandkid. Um, you know, unfortunately, we can't get down there to hold them or, you know, give them big hugs. And, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, I've been able to clean up paperwork and catch up on things that I've needed to catch up on to for a while. So it, in some ways, it's been good for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying not to look at my deferred comp account. <laughs> yeah, or, or or if or if McConnell decides that, uh, yeah, it's okay for everybody to go bankrupt. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, exactly. I hear you. All right. Well, thanks again, my old friend. I really appreciate you making the time for me and joining me on here. Um, once again, if you're a, a listener, don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, um, five star review. And uh, share our show. Let every, everybody else four listen to half, it. Whatever. <laughs> what did you say? Four and a half? And two and a half. <laughs> I'm going to have to delete that out of here. Okay. I'll edit that. No, five stars. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, Keith, as always, thank you. And I'm sure I'll, hope, I'll, I'm sure I'll see you soon enough, but it won't. Uh, it really won't be soon enough. So it'll, it'll be two big hugs. Don't worry about it. Yes, awkward. Like people are going to like look at us. <laughs> Sumo like, what's, wrestlers. What's what's going on here? Is this some weird reunion? And it kind of will be. So, all right. Well, thank you, my friend. Take care. Yeah.